So before I start my sermon, I just want to um, give a note of thanks to Gregory and Chris who are up in the booth um, answering late night and early morning calls to volunteer. Because Sean, um, who normally does our tech as our staff person, was one of the staff persons um, who was caught in all the plane delays for the Costa Rica mission trip. So can we give them a round of applause? Particularly, um, what I learned this morning is all the locations and the mics and all the things for 930, which Gregory really knows how to do, is completely different for the current. So, you are doing fabulous. Thank you. Thank you both for being here. Um, so, on this past Tuesday night, June 15th, many fans of the game show Jeopardy! And if, if you saw it, you might know where I'm going with this. Many fans of the game show Jeopardy! found themselves, some perplexed, some found themselves angry. So the $200 question for one of the categories that night that all of the contestants missed, none of them even attempted to guess it, was this. Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father, which art in heaven, this be thy name. So we, we say that every Sunday, don't we? Right? So, so what is the answer? Remember, it's Jeopardy. It's the form of the, que- it's in the form of a question. So what is the answer? What is hallowed? Yes. See, $200! Yay! Good job, good job, friends. Yes. But for these poor contestants, they just sat there in silence. We, we don't know what happened. And so the next day on Wednesday, I was discussing this whole incident with my Lakeland clergy colleagues, one of which is an avid Jeopardy fan. So, of course, we don't know exactly what the story is. Maybe it was so simple that they were confused and they thought, no, there's no way. It's, it's got to be something more complicated than that. Or maybe they really, truly didn't know. But we all agreed that this incident is an appropriate allegory of being in what many are labeling a post-Christian society. So no one comes to church and no one is part of a faith community anymore because of societal obligation or it's the cultural thing to do or any sort of outside pressure. As our former bishop, uh, Bishop Ken Carter, would like to say, People come to church for no other reason than they want to be here. And so we can accept this reality, and when we can, we can have a number of reactions. We can get angry that times have changed. We can be fearful that our numbers aren't what they used to be, that the former strategies of ministry, they don't always work anymore. Or we could be sad and mourn the good old days gone by. So my humble opinion, the best response is this. Don't panic. Don't panic because we as the Christian, as Christians and in the Christian faith, we have been here before. In fact, something similar is right where we started. So our scripture passage today, and you notice due to all our technical fun, um, we don't have screens. So if you'd like to look it up on your phones and follow along, feel free. If not, I'm going to read it. I'm reading out of the CEB. But our scripture passage today is from the book of Acts, chapter 17. And it's the passage where um, Paul preaches and teaches on Mars Hill. 
So you may or may not be familiar with this passage, but it's a beautiful window, a beautiful example for us into how to connect with our community. How we connect and share our faith, our church community, and this love we have found in God with others around us, including those completely unfamiliar with the church. So to set the stage of the scripture passage, Paul is in Athens, and things are a bit tense there in the beginning. He's not so sure about the people of the community at first, and they are not so sure about him. So we see in verse 16, he, being Paul, was deeply distressed to find that the city was flooded with idols. He began to interact with the Jews and Gentile God worshippers in the synagogue. He also addressed whoever happened to be in the marketplace each day. Certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers engaged him in discussion too. Some said, what an amateur, what is he trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. They said this because he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him into custody and brought him to the council on Mars Hill. What is this new teaching? Can we learn what you are talking about? You've told us some strange things, and we want to know what they mean. They said this because all Athenians, as well as the foreigners who live in Athens, used to spend their time doing nothing but talking about or listening to the newest thing. So in this passage, we see that there's definitely a tension here. There's different cultures that do not understand one another. But they give Paul a chance to talk. Pretty much because they're interested in hearing the latest thing, the latest philosophy, the latest teaching, even if they don't agree with it. It's part of their culture. And Paul takes this opportunity and does not shy away. He doesn't say, well, then you have to come to my church and understand things in my way and follow my rules. He doesn't get angry or demanding in his preaching. Instead, he meets the people where they are at. He preaches the gospel, but contextualized for their context. He shows them God in Jesus in a beautiful way that they can understand. We see further starting in verse 22. Paul stood up. In the middle of the council on Mars Hill and said, people of Athens, I see that you are religious in every way. As I was walking through town, carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What you worship as unknown, I now proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made with human hands, nor is God served by human hands, as though he needed something, since he is the one who gives life and breath and everything else. From one person, God connected every human nation to live on the whole earth, having determined their appointed times 
and the boundaries of their lands. God made the nation so that they would seek him, perhaps even reach out to him. In fact, God isn't very far away from any of us. In God, we live, move, and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul then goes on to tell those who are listening about the resurrection of Christ. You see, in this whole sort of preaching the gospel, he started with where they were at. He started with their current religious practices, their current understanding of this divine yet unknown God. He started with the beauty of the natural world that they all could see and understand with their own eyes. He, in fact, even quoted their very own poetry in verse 28. And so it was from that commonplace, that commonplace of understanding, that Paul was able to reach out to his community to connect with them and show them the love of God. To preach the resurrection of Christ he had found so powerful in his life. The resurrection of Christ that we have found so powerful in our lives. And so we see later on in the passage that some people made fun of Paul. They didn't like his message at all. Some were just not fully on board yet, but shared that they were curious to learn more. They were warming up. And some came to join him and believe, including one of the council members who had initially arrested him. And they specifically list out here a woman named Damaris, which I just love to see. Success in this instance was not getting everyone on board, not having a perfect batting average every time he shared the love of God, but finding a common place and connecting with his community. That was success. The success was in approaching people with open arms, respect, and love. Of opening the door to anyone who wanted to come in, whether now or later. That is where success is. So those from our church who went on the journeys of Paul Cruz literally visited the place where this whole scripture passage took place, which is very cool. And so we have a video this morning from Emily Felgenhauer, who is our director of youth ministries, who talks specifically about her experiences and how she sees that connecting with our church for the future. So if you guys can play the video. So before I went on the trip, um, obviously I've been in ministry for 16 years. I've, I did discipleship Bible study when I was a teenager, uh, when I was in high school, um, so I've, I've known scripture, I've known Paul, um, I've known Paul and his writings to be, um, one that can come across as pretty harsh, one that, um, obviously he was Saul before Paul, so he had this streak in him that was, um, uh, pretty dominant and pretty, um, I would say that was pretty forceful. And when you even read some of his texts um, in the New Testament, you can tell how he is a pretty uh, domineering, even leader in his word. Uh, even in Titus, when he was speaking to Titus about how he's supposed to be leading over um, in Crete, like it was very, this is what you need to do. And this is, you know, so 
knowing Paul and his writings before I left, I, I just felt like there was still a, a harshness to him. Once I got over there, once I got over to Ephesus and Athens and Corinth um, and even Rome, knowing all of the pagan lifestyle that Paul was having to face to share the gospel, to share Jesus Christ, the uphill battle, God needed a bulldozer. God needed somebody bold. God needed somebody who wasn't afraid to go to jail, to be arrested, to be um, to be threatened. He wasn't afraid. He was educated. This was an educated man who had an incredible background. He knew he, who he was tiptoeing to with all the Pharisees and with all of the people that he was coming in contact with. He had context, um, and God needed somebody who was confident in who they were and, and what they saw and what they knew. And that is how the church happened, was because of this boldness. So Emily, in a, a later interview we did with her, talked specifically about the Mars Hill experience and how, you know, that boldness was what got Paul in the door, what made him not afraid to have those conversations, that edu- educated nature was what was able um, to have him have those conversations with the Athenians in the way that their context um, worked. But she talks about how in that specific instance, she or he took the time to know what would work for them. Right, He took the time to compliment them on their religious practices, compliment them on this tomb of the unknown God. And I, I see what this is, and I think we can find common ground here. Go with those open arms and love there. And so then she relates that to our church for the future. How in, again, this post-COVID time, we're trying to figure out what, what does ministry look like for us now? For us as a church, we're in the middle of a senior pastor transition. What do things look like for us in the future? But we know that this message of love can be something that unites us. And going and taking these principles of connecting to our community can be a way forward for us, friends. We can see a world that can be hurtful. A world that can thrive in being divisive, can be so unjust to those on the margins. And in response to all of that, we as the church have a message of love and of hope and of justice and of care to share with our community. Yes, none of us know what the future holds. Times are changing for us, both in our society and for us as a church But we can find that center place of a hope-filled and grace-abounding and love-spreading gospel which we know is true and we can proclaim it to still be true. So um, Renee Perez and I were speaking after the Pride and Faith service on Thursday night, just talking about life and faith and doubt and all these things. And he said a quote that I asked for his permission to share because I thought it was so beautiful and so profound. He said, I know God loves me, and I know that I love God, and that is enough. And I loved that, because it's simple, yet it's profound. It's the crux of our faith, and it's the crux of our faith in a way that connects us to our community. It's the message that our community needs to hear. God loves all people. 
We are a people who are learning to love God and love neighbor in this beautiful and eclectic and diverse faith community together. Because isn't that a message that the world needs to hear? Doesn't the world need more love and less hate? More understanding and less going straight to tribalism. More justice and equity for all. More community and connection instead of the chronic loneliness that studies show are plaguing us in a post-COVID world. So there's so many ways that we are doing this and so many ways that we can continue to be in community. Being this welcoming community who is welcome to a diverse array of people, that's a huge part of making this a reality. Being committed to sharing God's love and God's care for our community, food drives, mission work, hurricane recovery, and more. And being that voice for justice and positive change in our community, our work with Polk County Peace, our work with our sister church, Hearst Chapel AME, our work with the district and the conference on anti-racism. And of course, to find your ways to get involved, you can always take a look in your bulletin or you can talk to me if you're interested in finding ways to plug into different aspects of this work. We all can take those opportunities to find out ways to reach out to the world around us and invite them into this community. We can all continue to share love and light, that love we have found in God. We can be reflectors of it to others, all those we come in contact with. We don't have to panic, friends. We can be encouraged. We can connect with our community. We can love our community just as they are. We can focus on our call to love God And to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we can have faith that that mission. To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That mission of us as a church. That mission of us as a domination is possible. And that we can do just that together. So friends, let us close in prayer. God of love, we thank you. For your love for us. May we grow in our love of you. And our love of our community. Which we are called to serve. May you show us. And move us in the ways we as a church. Can move into this new world. Into this new season of ministry. To serve your people. And your world. Amen. So friends, as we prepare to go from this place, receive this benediction. It is my hope that today you have experienced the love of God. And that you might remember that that love of God is the crux of our faith. So may we remember to love our God. May we remember to love our neighbor as ourself. And may we remember that that is enough. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.